0: Hello and welcome back to the Painting the Corners Offseason preview series. Continuing on with the National League East division, won by the Braves in a close race. Well, really a tie with the Mets, but the tiebreaker went to the Braves. Um, one of the best divisions in baseball, obviously the eventual National League champion, was the Phillies. Um, neither of the 100-win teams, but the 87-win Phillies going to the World Series, representing the National League, and uh, also got the Marlins and the Nats in there as well. So, um, yeah, let's kick it off.
1: Yeah, so definitely a loaded, loaded division here. Besides the Nationals, all these teams are pretty solid. Even the Marlins have some good aspects to their their team as well. So, um, But like you said, we're going to start off here with the Braves. Now, this is such a fun team because they have done an absolute masterclass of signing and keeping the talent that they have. And it's all really good talent. And the the other frustrating thing is they get them for seemingly well under market value. I don't know how they continue to do it, but they have locked up a slew of starters and position and on the mound. It's pretty incredible.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is pretty much the blueprint that every team, every you know mid to large market team would love to follow you get young players they perform you sign them to long term extensions immediately buy out their arbitration years and have plenty of club options so you have control over when they hit free agency and i mean yeah it's it's exactly what you want to do as a team just take a look at their guaranteed contracts you've got Austin Riley Matt Olson Acuña Strider Harris, their new center fielder, Rysell Iglesias, Marcelo Zuna, obviously not a good one, but Ozzy Albies way below market value. Charlie Morton, Eddie Rosario, Travis Darno, Kirby Yates, Colin McHugh, Manny Pena, Orlando Arcia, and Nick Anderson. That's an insanely long list of guaranteed contracts, and not all of them are are you know. There's probably five in there that are super super amazing contracts. You know the Riley Acuna. Strider, Harris, Albies are like the elite elite contracts, but that's just insane.
1: Totally is. And the other insane aspect around this is you look at like the rest of the crew that kind of makes up the core of this team. It's mostly the starting pitching that they haven't locked up, which Mike Soroka, granted he's been, you know, injury prone the last couple of years. He isn't a free agent till 2025. Same with Max Freed. Same with AJ Minter, arguably their second best reliever. Um, Kyle Wright is still not even qualified for ARB yet. William Contreras, another guy who had a breakout year. The crazy thing about the Braves, especially to me, is they just consistently have guys come up from their system and perform. You know, Mm. I'm sure they've had busts, but man, I cannot tell you who they've been. No,
0: absolutely. It's just... They just roll out the talent and every it seems like it was like the Dodgers a few years ago when they brought up Bellinger and then Seeger and just Kike Hernandez like guys all over the place. Just every single guy they brought up was an impact player. And that's exactly what the Braves are at right now. And the difference is that the Braves have signed these guys immediately to extensions.
1: The one I don't even think it's a downside. The one issue is when you have a lot of guaranteed contracts, usually that means that you are spending more money than you know if you were letting a guy go through the ARB process, especially in the beginning stages and whatnot. So while it's smart, yes, the issue is the Braves' financial picture may be handicapping them at the moment. And we don't know for sure, but we've heard a lot of reports that they don't want to go too far, if not any bit over that luxury tax, which they're at 227 right now, 227 million, um, basically 228. The first threshold is 233, so that seemingly tells us that there's no more room to spend, essentially, right, except for a couple guys here and there. Well, there are some glaring holes, and it might arguably come at the most important position on the field, and that's at shortstop. Right now, Dansby Swanson, their franchise shortstop, you know, supposedly, hit the free agent market they did attend to or did try and offer him something north of 100 million we don't know the exact figures but he's a free agent right now and it seems like unless they can get him back they're not going to go after any of the big dogs and it looks like it'll be von Grissom's chance to take take the reins now at that position which my gut's telling me they're not getting Dansby
0: yeah it's a i don't know it's a big question mark because Dansby's obviously been there for Ever, it seems like. And yeah, if they're really committed to staying under the luxury tax and not pushing payroll any higher than it currently is, then obviously there is no room for them. Um, they can certainly get creative and try to dump some salary somewhere else. But a funny part of this whole guaranteed contract thing is your guys are all signed for so long. They don't really have anybody on expiring contracts that they can deal. You know, they have a couple but, um, it's just a, a, a really well-constructed roster, but it does, as you said, handicap you in a certain way. Um, but they are lucky to have Von Grissom, who is certainly capable to step in at shortstop. He played very well, uh, mostly at second base, since Swanson was at shortstop, uh, but played very well in his rookie season. And I don't know if he will match the production of Swanson, but he's certainly not a, a complete dead weight. I don't think Braves fans would feel bad about about starting him there
1: no and nor should they like we said it sure it might have some handy handcuffing aspects to your financial flexibility in terms of filling out a roster one through 26 but if you're filling out your roster like they have with the quality that they have one through 20 i think you're okay letting you know, six final roster spots kind of go up for grabs. And even if one of them happens to be the shortstop position, the the thing too is Fangraphs really likes Von Grissom's outlook this year. They're giving him a projected 2.7 WAR. I would say if I'm a Braves fan, I completely am going to take that if that's what he ends up producing.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You'd be thrilled with that for sure. And for a guy that has literally no triple a experience he jumped straight from double a to the big leagues i mean yeah he was successful last year but still i mean that's that's pretty surprising to see that from the projection systems
1: it is and if you're a braves fan though it makes you feel a little bit more confident with him for sure and you kind of look on down the line so the position players they seem fine i mean obviously there's a little bit of a hole in left field yeah but that's exactly what i was about to mention there's just too much money tied up there with Eddie Rosario and Marcelo Zuna. So those guys are going to get a lot of playing time. They also did acquire Sam Hilliard in a smaller deal from the Rockies. He might get some playing time, though. he kind of serves more as a fifth outfielder type on this roster. But again, they can't really do anything because while they may be bad contracts, they kind of have to play these guys.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I'm, not completely sold on the whole luxury tax is the limit idea they did, you know, just win the world series two years ago, they announced record pay uh, record, uh, revenues. And, you know, I wouldn't be completely shocked if the Liberty media group that owns the Braves, uh, was comfortable pushing that, that payroll a little higher, especially because they know the Mets are going to do the same thing across the division in New York. But the, the Mets have been super aggressive with spending money, so the Braves might feel like they need to as well to keep up, and it would probably be in that left field area. Um, they could go after a guy like Mitch Hanegar, pro Profar, Conforto, that kind of tier of, of free agent outfielder. I wouldn't be completely shocked to see them do that, even if it does mean going over the luxury tax.
1: See, so yeah, that's, that's super interesting because I just don't think that they are. But, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see for sure on that. And I think another luxury they have is a lot of teams have to fill holes in the rotation. Well, right. there's a good argument that the Braves don't. Obviously, they got a top four that's pretty elite. And, and it's not even that they're elite on the mound. They're going to give you innings, and that's going to come from a crew that consists of Max Fried, Kyle Wright, Charlie Morton, Spencer Strider— Probably the least known guy of the group, Kyle Wright, led baseball and wins last year. So if you don't know who that is, definitely go check him out. And then that five spot, granted both injured guys, which makes you wonder, they might have to go out and get a fifth guy, even if it's just a guy for half the season. But Mike Soroka, who, from what I've heard, I don't think he's going to be ready. And Ian Anderson will not be ready to start the season. So do they maybe have to allocate a little money to that rotation or do they really trust Kyle Muller and Bryce Elder? Because those guys did pitch a little bit last year and you know what the Braves do with random mid to low 90 fastball guys. So, Yeah, I think they're
0: going to be fairly confident at least to start the year in those guys. Elder, Muller, uh, even top prospect Freddie Tarnock um, had a good showing in the upper minors last year. So those guys will all get looks at the back of the rotation. And I don't think the Braves are going to be too concerned with that number five spot at the beginning of the year because they know they will have Anderson at least and hopefully Soroka back during the year. And that should be a top five rotation in baseball.
1: Yeah, and then just kind of round out the Braves, that bullpen of theirs. It has some boomer bust. And the reason that I feel that way is because I like Iglesias being your closer and I like AJ mentor and Colin McHugh seems to be like a really solid reliever at this point. And you project Dylan Lee to, to progress as well. But after that, you have a lot of guys that really could hit. So the likes of Kirby Yates, Nick Anderson, uh, Jesse Chavez, even, you know, a little bit of Dennis Santana has that in him as well. A uh, high strikeout, high walk guy though. I don't, think though that they're going to have too much of an issue because like I said that first four of Iglesias, Minter, McHugh, and Lee I'm a huge huge fan of and I feel like the rest of the guys you usually can figure out through the course of a season and I don't really think there's much they need to do to that pen. No I, I
0: 100% agree and also uh, Elder and and Muller and Tarnock can probably filter in uh, to that bullpen over time depending on who's healthy and who's producing in the rotation.
1: Great point great point there so let's talk about the biggest rival they have in this division at least in the regular season that is the New York Mets and boy they might have the most rumors so far that (laughs) I've seen because if you go to their MLB trade rumors page just for this offseason you're going on multiple pages on your computer just to read a couple of the, the rumors they have been essentially talking to every single person and i don't think steve cohen does a great job of keeping things in house
0: (laughs) nor does he really care um but no the mets that's their mo it's you knew it was going to happen when cohen became the owner and um they're just gonna wield that free agent might uh, as much as they can and, and see how far it takes them and this past year it took them to 101 wins second place finish, and unfortunately a loss to the Padres in the wild card round. So they're certainly hungry for more. Uh, they're not going to stop spending now for sure. So um, yeah, the biggest loss they have a lot actually of big losses. DeGrom right. is pretty much irreplaceable except if you sign him back. Although of course his injuries are, are a question mark. But yeah, the rotation's huge. Two holes there with DeGrom and Bassett leaving. That's two of your top three starters right there. You need a center fielder with Nimmo gone. Um, they did lock up Diaz, so that's a big hit for them in the back of the bullpen. Um, we can debate whether that contract was wise or not, but he'll certainly be out there for the next five years and probably will be good for the next few at least. Um other than that, they're going to need some bats, for sure, outside of just Nimo, because their trades for Darren Ruff and Daniel Vogelback didn't work out too well. Vogelback was playable, uh, serviceable, but not great. Ruff completely tanked, didn't do anything after the deadline, so they're probably looking for somebody else to slot
1: into that DH
0: role as well.
1: Yeah, but the thing is, I don't exactly know... Uh, not. So we need to spend a million minutes on the designated hitter. But I don't really think they are going to be searching for a DH because to me, not non-tendering Darren Ruff, and obviously the Vogelback decision was an easy one. But if you're keeping Darren Ruff, that to me says that you are buying that he just had a rough stretch with you and you're going to platoon him and Vogelback again. And you might even give Francisco Alvarez a look if he can slug at that major league level. Because his well, bat probably plays more than McCann and Nito. Yeah,
0: I will say Ruff would, was not a non-tender candidate. He already had a guaranteed contract, um, so they would have had to eat that money if they cut him. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I don't think they'll. I certainly don't think they'll be looking for a, a sole DH, somebody who's just going to play DH. But um, I think even if they sign. Nimmo back or else find another center fielder, they're probably going to add another bat. Although right, you're I right about that, Alvarez being a, being a good option as a catcher.
1: Yeah, and, it, and I think if they didn't have Alvarez, my guess is they'd be in the catching market too. But because of him I think they're going to continue to roll out with James McCann. And that's the thing too with them is they have a bad contract like a James McCann. It doesn't really seem to bother them to then spend more on top of that and just right. eat it. And like Cohen's just so filthy rich. And the crazy thing is compared to all these other owners who are just ridiculously rich, he's like a whole nother tier. And that's what makes it kind of crazy. Because last year they finished with a payroll of 282 million. Okay? This year, they're already at 235. Now, if they go and sign to Grom for let's say 40 million, that pushes them seven million away. You can't tell me that they're just gonna spend like seven, maybe fourteen million more. They're gonna they might. And I don't think this is crazy. I think they're going to get over three hundred. I think they are too. Just straight payroll. Just straight payroll. Not even luxury tax. Yeah. Not, not even luxury tax. Just the payroll itself is going to be over three hundred million, which is wild. But it's it's ridiculous.
0: Not not completely, you know, unexpected. They were
1: already sniffing it last year. Um. Right. Yeah. I don't think I see too much change and I know you didn't say this either but I don't see too much change going on in that infield per se I think it really kind of locks down to an outfield bat because the way I look at it is I think they like Eduardo Escobar at third obviously you have Lindor and you have Luis Giorme who can kind of bounce around all those positions and if you can get an outfield bat that allows Jeff McNeil to maybe play second base a little bit more and slide uh Marte, Starley Marte back to right field, Cannon obviously being in left. I think that solves a lot of the offensive issues.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And that's why I've kind of thought that Nimmo was just still the best fit to re sign with the Mets. I know we've talked about the Blue Jays uh, and the Rockies, even and other teams, as fits for him, but. Uh, I think he's going to go back to the Mets or at least I think that's the best on paper fit.
1: Yeah, no, I would completely agree with you on that. And if they do miss out on him, there's, there's definite options. I mean, obviously they're not going to get judged, but you know, I could see them because there, there is a comfort level with Starley Martin center too. So, you know, do they go and get a Mitch Haniger or a take a chance back on Michael Conforto? I could totally see that as well. So, I don't think it's boomer bust for Nemo, but he's definitely their best option out there. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: So on the pitching side, uh, we already mentioned the losses of DeGrom and uh, Bassett. So that leaves the rotation looking like Scherzer, Carrasco, Tyler McGill, David Peterson, and then maybe Eliezer Hernandez, who they acquired from Miami. Obviously, they're not going to roll out that group to start the year. I think they would probably hope McGill will be their fifth starter going into the year, pushing Peterson and Hernandez to yeah. the bullpen. Um, so obviously that means they need to acquire two starters to replace the guys they lost. And from what it sounds like, they are being extremely aggressive to find a co-ace for Max Scherzer or another co-ace after they lost Degrom and it doesn't seem like they're limiting themselves to Jacob deGrom. They we've talked we've heard rumors about Verlander and Rodon as well, the other top names in the starting pitching class. If you had to guess, which of those three would you say they're
1: likeliest to land? I think they're likeliest to land deGrom and that comes from the sole fact that that's kind of what the rumors are saying that the Mets are likely to sign deGrom. However, I kind of prefer Rodon, and not that I think Rodon is a better pitcher than DeGrom, because there isn't a better pitcher in the game than Jacob DeGrom, but you're banking on a little bit more health, a little less AAV, and a guy who's pretty freaking dominant. And if you have a left-right combination of Scherzer, and then you throw out uh, Rodon, that plays... Obviously... The De- the is on a whole other level, and I'm not trying to argue who's a better pitcher, but just from a, few, a pure contract and, and age and health standpoint, I like Rodon a little bit more. But I feel like they're going to end up getting, um, I feel like they're going to end up getting Degrom. That's just a gut feeling there. And obviously, like you said, they need a second guy, and who's that going to be? Well, we know they have interest in Tyone. They have made that uh, publicly clear. So will they go after him? Maybe. I think that's a solid fit for sure. We also know that they've dabbled in the Justin Verlander world. So they are talking to probably everyone. You could probably throw in Senga. Um, you can throw in a lot of guys, Bassett, I'm sure. Even guys of the level of um, Taiwan Walker, you know, they are definitely talking mm-hmm. to every yeah, single starting pitcher. And I guarantee you they're going to get two of those guys, and it's probably going to be one of the top guys and then another of that second tier, the Tyone level guys.
0: All right. I'm asking this out of an abundance of uh, Steve Cohen respect. Yes. Is there a chance they get two of the
1: three top arms? Realistically, no. Because, and the reason I say that is not because I don't think he financially could do it. I could see them running out the offense that they have right now and just signing, you know, hypothetically to Grom and rodon let's just say totally could see it and that wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities that would put him at about 300 but i just don't think the other teams in the league will let that happen because there's too many big players in on these guys so that'll be kind of their their tough spot but if if they were the only players and it was them and you know the orioles or something 100 100 i don't think that's out of the realm of possibility
0: well and i'm sure they will try to use that to their advantage in a bidding war kind of sense. You know, if you take DeGrom off the table and then you start putting in offers to Rodon, that's
1: got to get his market churning for sure. Completely. The one area of this team, besides the starting rotation, but I believe they'll get that figured out, that kind of concerns me is that bullpen. I don't like this pen at all after Edwin Diaz. Currently where it stands, I mean... Yikes! Right? Are you? seeing Yeah. CNA oh, yeah. I mean, of... everyone was a free agent. Yeah. Seems like. And the interesting, so there is some rumors on these guys because um, they lost two of their biggest pieces that they did lose were Seth Lugo and Adam Ottavino. Now, Adam Vino, the Mets are actively pursuing to try to re-sign. However, they pr- have not been in contact whatsoever with Seth Lugo. So, me reading into that says they are moving on from Lugo, whether they believe the market's gonna be too high for a guy, or maybe he's really just wants to be a starter again, which I don't think. But yeah, I don't know. It sounds like the Mets are gonna go a different route than one of their high leverage guys in Seth Lugo, which I don't necessarily agree with.
0: Well, yeah, there's there's gonna be a lot of turnover. There, you mentioned Ottavino and Lugo they also lost Trevor Williams, Jolie Rodriguez, Trevor May and Tommy Hunter out of that bullpen. That's like six guys out of an eight man bullpen. Right. So you knew there was going to be a lot of turnover. Um, Williams and Rodriguez are not, and Hunter are not really, you know, super high leverage guys. Jolie Rodriguez actually was just signed by the Red Sox, I believe.
1: Yes. Correct. The other
0: the Red day. Sox. Yep, so he's off the table. Is. Yeah. Uh, He was a lefty. He was the only lefty in their pen. I remember that from when we were previewing the Mets Padres series. Um, Although they do have David Peterson who could be shifted to the pen. Uh, Yeah. I'll be interested to see what the Mets do with regards to their bullpen. Just as with the starting rotation, there's no way they're going to run out of this group of Edwin Diaz and nobody else. Um, So yeah. Are they going to do trades? Are they going to do free agency? Obviously, Cohen's not afraid of spending the money. There just aren't really that many high leverage guys out there. Audavino is probably the biggest name
1: left on the open market. Him or Kenley Jansen. So yeah, and the thing is, they're not going to go after a Kimbrel type guy. So you know, let's, let's assume on paper they get Audavino, right? So there's your eighth or seventh inning guy. I think they'll probably look in that lefty world because they need one, and oh, yeah. there's some solid options. You have Taylor Rogers out there who we know struggled last year, but he has a track record. Andrew Chafin, probably yeah. the most, has probably put up the best statistics the uh, last couple of years. And as we all know with relievers, there's so many guys who teams will get a lot out of. Just look at Rafael Montero with the Astros, who struggled for multiple years before he dominated last year so you know the Mets like a guy I'm sure they can turn some guys into certain things I also will tip my hat to the depth that they've built in that pen through a couple trades they've made they've mm-hmm. definitely put their bullpen in a good depth position they just need some some guys to pitch in the high leverage innings
0: yeah absolutely and I also would like to shout out Bryce Montes de Oca had an electric debut for the Mets at the end of last year didn't make the playoff roster but throws incredibly hard and uh got some really nasty swings against him uh in the late part of last season when he made his debut so if he can put that stuff together he certainly has the potential to be a high leverage guy um super young but well actually he's not he's 27 but super new to the big leagues so uh could follow that and uh, and see where he ends up in that bullpen depth chart. Hello, everyone. It's Johnny with a post recording update here. You've probably heard by now, but Jacob Degrom will not be returning to the Mets because he has signed a five year, one hundred eighty five million dollar contract with the Texas Rangers. Um, a complete stunner that the Rangers would go to five years here. Mets fans, I know you're disappointed about this one, but I don't think you can reasonably expect to top that offer. Um, we'll see how it pans out, obviously, for the Rangers. But um, with the in- injury history that we talked about with DeGrom and his age, uh, this contract will take him through his age 39 season, I believe. So um, we'll see how it pans out for the Rangers. But now, from the Mets' perspective, you got to turn the page you got to go after Rodon and Verlander, and they certainly are. Um, if they can get one of those guys and also a next tier guy, uh, Bassett, um, Tyone, Ivaldi range, they can kind of ease the sting of losing Degrom. But obviously, no one can can completely replace him. So we'll see how the Mets react to this one.
1: So you're ready to move on to these World Series, Philadelphia Phillies. Yep. Who? National League champs. Bar- barely made the playoffs, and I think the reporting—I don't know how much you've seen of it. It's kind of—it's kind of funny what what the reports have come out about the Phillies and their off-season strategies. And these two reports have come out in the span of I think it's a day of each other. Oh no, these came out the same day. So the <laughs> there was two somewhat conflicting reports that came out on the thirtieth a couple days ago. One said that the Phillies have Trey Turner as their top priority the same day we heard that the Phillies are prioritizing outfield in the wake of Bryce Harper so I don't really understand why they need outfield help but apparently they like or apparently they feel as though they need another outfielder
0: well I mean I can see both of those arguments Harper for those of you don't know was playing pretty much all of last season with a torn UCL on the collateral ligament, which is the Tommy John ligament. So he got Tommy John surgery as a position player. It's different than a pitcher. You're not out for a year and a half. Um, he should be able to make it back by the all star break, is what they're hoping for in a swinging only capacity, DH only capacity. He won't be able to throw, but he'll be able to swing. So that's why he was DHing all of last year as well. Um, so, yeah, I can see that they need an outfielder. They have Castellanos, they have Schwarber. Neither of those guys, uh, playoff sliding catches aside, are great defenders out there. They've got Marsh in center. So I guess the thing about needing an outfielder would just mean you're not comfortable playing both Castellanos and Schwarber out there at the same time. But then if you acquire another outfielder and you push schwarber or castellanos to dh then you don't have a spot for harper when he comes back so i'm assuming if they're getting an outfielder it's not going to be you know brandon nimmo or some. it's going to be somebody a little more fourth
1: outfielder type probably a defense first guy right i know i totally agree with you there and that's why i feel like that priority should be shortstop because they can really use an upgrade there and it's not necessarily the shortstop position they need upgrading. It's more the second base, which they would do at the same time by right. acquiring a shortstop that would push Bryson Stott over to second base, which would be huge for them because right now it would look like a Edmundo Sosa, Nick Maytone type thing, which really isn't producing too much. But you know, Bryson Stott, that's a pretty good second baseman there. I think he projects to continue to progress as a hitter. And if they can get a Trey Turner type, I mean, watch out for that lineup. We already saw how potent it was in the playoffs without Turner. I don't know. And the thing, too, that is worth mentioning is their payroll last year definitely blew over the luxury tax. It was $242 million, but they got some money taken off the books for sure. A lot of that came in the bullpen, but you look at Kyle Gibson and Zach Eflin took some some of that money off the books as well as kind of the bigger ones, which would have been Gene Segura and Noah Syndergaard. So they do have some flexibility financially. Right now, their estimated payroll is at 179. I think luxury tax is a little bit more important, especially for the Phillies. So we'll talk about the 190 figure that they're currently at at the luxury tax threshold. So if they want to stay under, that gives them roughly $43 million to spend. That's definitely enough to go get you a Trey Turner. Now, is it enough to go get you some of that bullpen depth that you lost in the form of, you know, Chris Davinsky, uh, Zach Eflin come playoff time, Brad hand, Corey Knebel, David Robertson and so forth. Plus filling out those starting rotation spots. If you want to stay under, probably not, but Trey Turner or Xander Bogarts, or even Dansby Swanson, whoever they decide to go out and get, that would be huge for that offense.
0: Oh, absolutely. But I think, you just kind of mentioned it here. I think that the almost more pressing need is the rotation because you're not going to start the year with Bailey Falter and Michael Plassmeyer as your four or five starters. You have Nola wheeler Suarez at the top. It's a great starting three, front three, but, and you know, Falter is serviceable as well. He pitched fairly well last year. He actually was, was very good for stretches of time, but you're going to want, a little more depth and a little more certainty in their rotation. So I would be shocked if they don't sign or trade for a starter. And I
1: would also be shocked if they don't sign or trade for a middle infielder. Right. And I know they've been rumored to be attached to Tyone and returning Zach Eflin. Haven't really heard about them connecting with Noah Syndergaard again, but yeah, like you said, you can't run out that bottom half of the rotation and expect to make the playoffs could you sure but you can't expect to and i think another issue that they have to solve is that bullpen now we know jose alvarado and sir anthony dominguez are going to be a really good eight nine inning duo but after that like i mentioned earlier they lost a lot of pretty big names now not all of them were super impactful but that's some innings that they're definitely losing and are they really going to trust, you know, Connor, Connor Brogdon or Andrew Bellotti, Sam Coonrod? I mean, those aren't names that really strike fear into the opponents come 6th, 7th inning of ball games, Absolutely not. No.
0: Yeah. And also, I mean, I would say they're in a better position than the Mets when it comes to the bullpen because they don't need that kind of high leverage guy. They've already got two, whereas the Mets really only have one at the moment. Um, so they don't need to go out and get Ottavino or Kenley Jansen or something like that. They can play in the kind of middle tier of the market, maybe some Carlos Estevez from the Rockies, that sort of thing. Um, Oh, I remember what I was going to say from earlier about their outfield. I have a projected uh, trade for the Phillies. I think they should go out and get Michael A. Taylor from the Royals Mm. as a cheap center field option to platoon with Marsh.
1: Interesting, yeah. I wonder if they feel like they should platoon out there with Marsh, or they're just going to give him the reins. I mean, obviously he had some moments in the playoffs, but he really wasn't that great. So that'll be interesting. I, I don't hate that idea.
0: Yeah, well, it wouldn't necessarily be a platoon from the start. You know, in the in the beginning half of the year when Bryce is out, you play Marsh and left and Taylor in center, and then when Harper comes back, he can probably. Do a bit more of a platoon with Schwarber and left.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. So let's get into the Miami Marlins now, the fourth place team in the division last year. We obviously know they have Sandy Alcantara, which is a scary force, Cy Young winner. But after that, they are lacking in a lot of areas. We obviously know Jazz Chisholm will lock down second base for a while. Hopefully he comes back healthy. They have some nice pieces, no doubt, but they definitely have some very bad contracts. However, if you look at their payroll, you would assume that wouldn't be too much of an issue. They're only at $95 million uh for 2023 so you would think maybe they have some space but obviously they're pinching pennies over there granted they don't really give any fans so i'm not sure who's at fault completely there but at the same time doesn't sound like they have a ton of money to spend yet they kind of need to if they want to compete yeah they're in a tough
0: position because
1: they went for it last
0: year they took two big swings by their standards big swings for Avi Garcia and Jorge Soler. And unfortunately for them, neither of those guys panned out at all. They both had pretty atrocious seasons, re- below replacement level seasons. And now they're kind of stuck with two, three or four year contracts there. And I'm sure ownership is not, you know, eager to sign off on another long term deal uh, after seeing how those two panned out last year. So I don't know. I don't think the Marlins are really in a good position to reload in a quick manner, and I think they're actually going to institute a, a
1: somewhat of a sell-off. So then that sell-off would probably come from the rotation. Yes. That being a rotation that consists of, honestly, five really good starting pitchers that they don't really need to add to. Sandy Alcantara, as I mentioned. Pablo Lopez, who had somewhat of a breakout first half last year. Hazeluz Lazardo, who apparently has figured it out in Miami. Uh, and then you got MLB The Show legend Edward Cabrera, <laughs> as well as Trevor Rogers, who definitely had a down year, but seemed to – he was he was interesting because he was in every-other-start-was-good type of guy. So I think that they trust him, but I mean – Top three rookie of the year, wasn't he, a couple years ago? Right, yeah, two years ago he was – it's a high strikeout (laughs) rotation. I mean, these guys are striking out a lot of guys, so there's a lot of fun going on there, but yeah, if they're going to trade, it's going to come from that rotation. I personally don't think they will until the deadline, but it has to be pretty daunting looking at the three teams above you and knowing if you're a front office exec for the Marlins that you can't even spend half of what those teams are spending. Oh yeah, no, it's,
0: That's why I I think that it's going to be a a sell-off or at least, you know, maybe not fire sale level, but I don't think that Kim Ang can legitimately look at her team and think that she's going to compete for a playoff spot
1: at this point with what ownership is giving her. Right. The only reason I feel like it's... I shouldn't say the only reason... There's a couple of reasons that I disagree with you on that, but another reason would be the fact that they just hired a new manager and Skip Schumacher. I would be very surprised if they said, hey, here's the reins to this team. Now let's fire sale and sell everyone off and give you nothing. (laughs) Yeah, I just feel like that probably doesn't happen. But like you said earlier, the two contracts of Avisio Garcia and Jorge Soler are so atrocious that why would ownership give a green light to go sign someone significant, but they need to, because besides jazz Chisholm, there is just nobody.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's pieces there's, you know, the joy Wendell's, the Garrett Cooper's Jacob Stallings is decent, but yeah, it's not, it's not a playoff caliber roster. It's for sure. And yeah, I mean, it's tough. I, I don't think I also don't think it's gonna be a fire sale. I've said that it's I would think probably gonna be a couple trades um, to save some money and hopefully restock the farm on the position player side. Uh, but another thing to keep in mind is this is Kim Ang's first winter as GM without Derek Jeter in the organization, and we don't really know how many strings he was pulling or how much sway he really had, but. Uh, I would I would be interested to see what she does in her first year kind of alone at that at the top now whether she really wants to you know make a splash and try to try to make something out of this team and whether she she wants to be aggressive or whether she's going to go with the the reload and
1: and retool and stock up the farm route yeah, no, I, I know what you mean, and it's tough. But, again, it probably lies more on ownership than anything. And I think Jeter kind of exposed that to the public, though we could probably read between the lines there and figure that out already. But, yeah, it'll it's tough being in her position because when you have an ownership group that doesn't want to spend, plus you have two bad contracts that you already signed, I wonder if there's a little bit of hesitation to pull the trigger. But I'd like them going after a center fielder. Um, I don't know who that would be. It's been their hole for years, yeah. Been their hole for years. Take a chance on Bellinger. Maybe offer him two years. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Risking having three bad contracts in the outfield. That could be a yikes as well. So I don't envy her position at all.
0: Absolutely not, yeah. And okay, so we're going to move on from a team with bad owners to a team with No owner at the moment. Well, they're currently selling the team. Uh, The Washington Nationals came in a distant last place last year with a team that was completely gutted by the trade deadline with Juan Soto and Josh Bell being traded. Um, Unfortunately, pretty much all their contracts, all their guaranteed contracts uh, have, have really plummeted. They've got Strasburg on the books for another four years. Corbin on the books for another two years. Um, they cut ties with D.H. Uh, Nelson Cruz after they signed him to a, a one-year deal with a with a mutual option. He had a terrible year last year, so really not many things breaking the Nationals' way. They are pretty clearly at their low point of the roster construction. Hopefully, in, in another year or two we can start seeing those prospects that they got back uh start to make an impact on this team but right
1: now it's pretty barren yeah and they clearly could spend money but it's even to the point where just spend money to fill holes and maybe try to get guys that you can trade very similarly to the pirates approach and this offseason it's kind of the reds as well there's not a lot to do other than sell the team and it starts with that. Once you do that and get an ownership group in there, you know, ideally it'd be a Steve Cohen level guy, but you know, even if it's not someone in there who maybe is a little bit more committed to spending, doesn't have to be a, you know, 35 billionaire, but someone that was just committed to the team and to spending would be great. And yeah, like you said, they're going to have to spend a little time waiting for their guys to come up. CJ Abrams of the world, Mackenzie Gore, uh, Joey Mensas right now are kind of the main guys, though. Menessis isn't really a top prospect per se, but, you know, Kybert Ruiz has been up for a little while. Can they, you know, Josiah Gregg, can they have a little uh, progression with him this year? There's a lot to kind of watch for, for sure. But they won't be very exciting other than a couple prospects that get called up you know, mid-season. There's certain things to
0: like about it. I mean, you got at, at least um, two of the players that they got back in the Soto-Bell deal will be on the Major League team next year. And it's going to be C.J. Abrams, shortstop, and Mackenzie Gore, a starting pitcher. And both of those guys have already had some pretty great moments in their young major league career. Abrams, um, was spectacular defensively down the stretch for the nationals Had made a lot of highlight reel plays, um, already becoming a, a bit of a fan favorite down there. Gore was injured, didn't pitch for the nationals last year, but, uh, at the beginning of his career with the Padres, he showed some, some pretty lights out stuff. So, you know, if you're looking at those guys, Josiah Gray, as you mentioned, Kiebert, Kiebert Ruiz, um, it's gonna. It's not going to be an unwatchable team. You know, there will be some excitement around those prospects, and especially the guys that, uh, as you said, will get called up throughout
1: the year. Right. So their goal, like I said earlier, just sign some guys that that can give you some innings, give you some at bats, and hopefully flip them at the deadline, and let those prospects marinate and hopefully get them to that major league level for you this year and some exposure and. Who knows anything can happen in terms of obviously they're not going to make the playoffs, but you know, could they win sixty upper sixty low seventy games this year totally if you know if Gore's an ace and you know Patrick Corbin isn't the worst starting pitcher in the history of the game, who knows <laughs> who knows so yeah i
0: think I think a non one hundred loss season would qualify as a win for the Nets,
1: totally agreed there. So I don't really think there's too much more to talk about there. And with that, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. So thank you guys so much for for watching and listening to this. And we look forward to continuing our off-season coverage as we move into the American League side of things coming up here in the next couple days. So make sure you stay tuned and stay on the lookout for those. And yeah, we'll talk to you later. See ya.